0: This morning, we're continuing on in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 13. As those of you that were here last week, you know that we started in Mark 13, beginning in verse 28. We looked at a few verses there in this passage, verses 28 through 37. This morning, we're going to continue what we started last week, which was Christ's message those people who are living in the last days. Some of us might be tempted to read through this and think, well, it's for those people, so I don't really need to know this. But we do need to know this. There are a lot of things that we can learn as Jesus, specifically in our passage here this morning, is going to say to us. Now, Now you hear many people today who tell you that you and I are living in the last days. You've probably heard that from preachers. You've probably heard that from fellow brothers and sisters, that today we are living in the last days. And if someone came up and asked you, are we living in the last days, how would you answer them? Here's what I would say. Yes, we are living in the last days. From the perspective that Christ can return at any moment to rapture his church. To rapture us out of here and bring a close to the church age. That is what we are living in right now. We are living in the church age. And the next time that Christ comes, he will appear in the air, 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us, and he will rapture his church out of here and that will bring a close and end to the church age to which then God will focus on Israel, as we've been studying in the book of Romans. So we are living in the last days in the sense that Christ can return at any moment to rapture us out of here. In fact, listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.7. He says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Peter tells us that the end of all things is near. So the last days are very near. They are near to us. But are we living in the last days right before Christ returns to set up his millennial kingdom and reign here on earth on the throne of David? Are we living in those last days? No, we are not. We are not living in those last days. Because those last days will be during the time of the tribulation. A seven year period where God is going to pour out His wrath on this earth through His judgment. That will happen during that seven year period. So yes... We're obviously living in a time closer to Christ's return than the past generation, as Paul says in Romans 13, 11, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. But no, we are not living in the last days of the tribulation period right before Christ's return to earth to come and set up his millennial kingdom. Why is this important for us to know and to understand this timing of all of this and what it means to be living in the last days? Well, because it's that last generation who will be living in those final seven years that Jesus is speaking to in our passage here this morning. Now, let me just remind you of what we had talked about last week. Last week, as we worked our way through our passage, we looked at four things that Christ reveals to this last generation as he is teaching his disciples there on the Mount of Olives during the Passion Week. This is the Olivet Discourse. The first thing that we saw last week was the illustration that Christ uses of a fig tree. Luke tells us that it was an illustration not just of a fig tree, but Jesus says of any tree. That when you see the leaves beginning to bud in the springtime, you know that the summer is near. When you see leaves bud on that fig tree, you know that summer is right around the corner. So Christ is telling this final generation that when you see the signs of the end... Namely, the abomination of desolation that we've looked at and the sun and the moon darkened and the stars falling from heaven Realize that Christ's return is right around the corner. The second, we saw the anticipation of the last days as Jesus told them that when you see these signs happening, they need to know how close he really is. That Jesus is right at the doorstep Third, we saw the generation of the last days and we saw how how Jesus tells the disciples this generation in verse 30 there. He's not referring to the disciples that he's talking to there, but he's referring to the generation who will be alive during that tribulation period. That's who this generation is that Jesus is talking about there. And then fourth, we saw the affirmation of the last days. As Jesus tells them that just as sure as the heavens and the earth will pass away, which will take place in the future, so it is true that his words will not pass away. Meaning that everything that that he has told these disciples about what is going to happen is going to happen. It's a fact. Better believe it. As we've been studying through Mark 13, and Jesus says all of these things are going to happen in the future, what should our response be? Believe it. It's a fact. It's going to happen because his words will not pass away. And so, anyone who says, well, all of this end time stuff that the Bible talks about isn't really going to happen, that person's a fool. Because Jesus said it's all going to happen. And it will happen exactly as he has said it is going to happen. Now this morning we pick up in verse 32. But just to set the context for our passage here this morning, I want to read for us our passage and begin in verse 28. Read along with me as we read Mark chapter 13 beginning in verse 28. Jesus says this, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that the summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Now in verse 31, as we said, Jesus says that everything is going to happen exactly how he said it was going to happen. And what did he say was going to happen? Well, look back at verse 26. Mark 13, look back at, Verse 26, he says, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. We even sung about that this morning. That was the song, The Ancient of Days, talking about Him in power and glory. And the the natural question then that you would ask, and people throughout the ages have asked, is when is this going to take place? When is Jesus going to come in the clouds with great power and glory? Today, people are wanting to know the exact time of his return, right? People talk about this all the time. When is the rapture going to take place? When is Jesus going to come and rapture us out of here? But at that time, that generation that Jesus is talking about there, at that time, people are going to want to know the exact time when he comes in the clouds with great power and glory. And why will they want to know? Because they will be in the midst of this end times tribulation. Where things are going to be really bad. You think things are bad now? (laughs) haven't seen anything yet compared to what the tribulation is going to be, it's going to be a horrific time. And it'll be worse than anything that anyone has ever seen on the face of this earth. In fact, that's what Jesus said back up in verse 19. He said, for those days will be a time of tribulation. Such has not occurred since the beginning of the creation, which God created until now and never will. It is going to be a unique time time of great tribulation. A horrific time. And so those people that are living in that time, that generation who is living there, those people will want to know exactly when Jesus is coming back with power and glory to put an end to all of this, right? I mean, wouldn't that be your question? That's our question now, and we're not even living in the worst of times. How many of you prayed this week, Lord Jesus, please return? I bet many of us did. I, I know I did. And yet we're not even living in that tribulation period. So these people are going to want to know, when is Jesus going to come back with power and glory to put all of this to an end? But Jesus says, notice in verse 32 and 33, But of that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. Which leads to our, our next point. And continuing from last week, this would now be our fifth point. Point number five is the preparation for the last days. What we will call the preparation. Now, now think about this with me for a moment. God never tells us the exact timing of Christ's return, right? He never does. As a church, we don't know the exact timing of his return to rapture us out of here. And we don't know the exact timing of the final return of Christ to come and establish his millennial kingdom either. In fact, the disciples even tried to get this out of Jesus before his ascension. Remember that? In Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, they asked Jesus, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? What did Jesus say? No, that won't be till April 22nd in the year 2025, 3 o'clock. That's when I'll be back. That's not what he said. What did he say? In verse 7, he said, It's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus says, it's not for you to know. You know why would God not want us to know the exact timing? Well, because He wants us to be focused on living for Him with an expectant hope every single day. Not just the day right before He returns. If we knew it was April 22nd, 2025 at 3 o'clock, everybody would wait until April 21st. But He wants us to live with expectant hope every single day. Edmund Hebert, a great commentator, says this, God's wisdom graciously withheld any indication of a definite date for the second coming. Otherwise, no believer living before this indicated date could have experienced the purifying hope of his coming. We have hope. We have hope that the world doesn't have. Because we are expecting and awaiting for the return of our Savior to come and take us out of here. And God wants us to live with that expectant hope every single day. And what does that do? Who does that keep our eyes fixed on? On Christ. That's how we need to be living. Every day. Fixed upon Christ. And so to those who are trying to predict the day or the hour of his return and get all caught up in the signs of the end times, Jesus says in verse 31, no one knows that day or that hour. And specifically referring to his second coming here, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven. That is not even those who are perfect beings living in the very presence of God right now. Think about that. The angels who are living in the presence of God perfect created beings who are perfect they have a limited knowledge the angels in heaven don't know and then jesus says nor the son nor the son now let's just stop right here for a moment because many unbelievers will look right here at this passage and they'll say see jesus doesn't know something and therefore he cannot be god But in order to understand Jesus' statement here, we have to understand what is called the kenosis of Christ. Kenosis. Kenosis is the Greek word for empty. And it's found in Philippians 2 and verse 7. And I'd encourage you to turn over to Philippians 2, 7. We need to understand this passage and the kenosis of Christ in order to help us understand what Jesus says when he says nor the Son, that the Son doesn't know. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, it talks about the kenosis, but let's begin in verse 5. Look at what it says in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, okay, stop right there, notice that. He existed in what? The form of who? God. He existed in the form of God. In fact, Colossians two nine even says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He didn't cease to be God. He existed in the form of God. Notice he continues on in verse 6. Did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now notice that in verse 7. You have that word empty that's there. Verse 8, you have the the word there that he humbled himself. That empty there is that word kenosis in Greek. And what does it mean that Jesus emptied himself? What did Jesus empty himself of? Did he empty himself of his deity? No, he did not. In fact, that's what Colossians 2.9 even says, right? In bodily form. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. As a man, he's fully God. And so anyone who says that Christ was not God in the flesh is a heretic. Don't listen to them. Run from them. It's heresy. They're not talking about the Jesus of the Bible. Because the Jesus of the Bible never stopped being God. He's always God. So what does it mean that he emptied himself of? Well, in his incarnation, that is, in Christ putting on flesh... He emptied himself, meaning he did not always fully express his divine privileges and rights that he fully possessed as God. He did not always fully express them, but he emptied himself. What does that look like? Well, first of all, he emptied himself of his heavenly glory. He emptied himself of his heavenly glory. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, what did the disciples see there? His glory. They saw his glory, but his glory was veiled as he walked around in human flesh. And so he emptied himself of his heavenly glory that he always had with the Father from all of eternity past, and he now has right now as a resurrected Savior sitting at the right hand of the Father. He emptied himself of his heavenly glory. Second, his independent authority. That is, he completely submitted to the will of the Father. And everything that he did and everything that he said, he completely submitted himself to the will of the Father. Third, he emptied himself of his eternal riches. His eternal riches, that is, he became poor. I mean, he was born in a what? In a manger of all places, in a stable. The the king of the earth, the king of the universe. We're about to celebrate that. How he humbled himself. He was born in a manger. So he emptied himself of his, his eternal riches as he became poor. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. Number four, he emptied himself of his divine prerogatives. That is, he did not always fully express his divine privileges and rights that he fully possessed as God. What does that look like? Let me give you an example of this. Does God get tired Does God get hungry? No, He doesn't. In fact, Isaiah 40 28 says that God does not become weary or tired. Did Jesus become tired? He did. Did He become hungry? He did. He became tired. He became hungry. And He did that as a man. Why? Because he emptied himself. He did not cease being God, but he voluntarily surrendered those privileges and submitted himself to the will of the Father. And at times, he also voluntarily surrendered the use of his omniscience as a man, which he did right here in our passage. But remember that Christ Also, at times, demonstrated his supernatural understanding. Think about John chapter 2 and verse 24, which says, But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Divine omniscience. We've even seen his supernatural knowledge in, in the Gospel of Mark so far as Jesus has been telling his disciples that we are going to go to Jerusalem so he can do what? Die. You're the Messiah, though. You're, we're going to go so you can die, Jesus? That's right. So he can go and die? So I can be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, which is exactly what happened? And he's going to die and then rise again three days later. Did all of that happen? Yes, it did. Divine omniscience. And so he did not cease being God. When Jesus is saying here that the Son of Man does not know, he's not ceasing to be God here, but he's emptied himself. In fact, at times he did express his supernatural knowledge in the flesh, but he also willingly limited his knowledge to what the Father revealed to him, which is what we see back in Mark thirteen thirty-two. And so, I'd encourage you to turn back there with me. Notice what Jesus says there: "No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, nor the Son." That's the kenosis there. Now, let me just be very clear. Did Jesus, does Jesus know when he is going to return now? Yes, he does. He knows. He knows now. Because after his resurrection, Jesus resumed the full knowledge and glory that he had with the Father from eternity past. And so Jesus does know now, presently, the exact time of his return. He knows all things because he has all authority in what? Heaven and on earth. All authority, Matthew 28 tells us, right? And so if he has all authority, he has all knowledge of everything that is going to happen. And he knows exactly the day and the hour of his return. But listen, we don't. We don't. We never will. So what do we need to do? Be prepared. We must be prepared. And that generation that's living during the tribulation needs to be prepared as well. Which is what Jesus says in verse 33. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. Jesus here gives two commands to this generation. He says to take heed and keep on the alert. And these two commands are given as a way to emphasize their need to be watchful. Remember, they're gonna be living in a time where things are really bad. And Jesus says, but be watchful. Look up. Because I'm coming again. I'm right at the doorstep. And I'll be arriving soon. So be ready. They need to be ready at that time for His return. The signs that they are seeing will tell them that Jesus is near. They need to be watchful and they need to be ready. They must not get caught up in the circumstances around them, but they must continue to trust Christ and be watchful. And watch for him as he will be right at the doorstep about to come in glory and in power. And what Jesus is saying here is, be prepared. And just to help these guys get the picture of this, Jesus gives them another parable of a man who goes on a journey. Which leads to our sixth point. Point number six, the demonstration of the last days the demonstration of the last days. We saw the preparation and now the demonstration. Look at verse 34 and what he says there. It is like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Now Jesus gives them a parable, or it's a a story, to help them understand how watchful and alert they need to be. Notice, he says there, that a a man went away on a journey. Who is the man in this parable? Christ is. Jesus is. Christ is the man who went away. And when he left, he put his slaves in charge. Who are the slaves? Us, his followers. Not just the disciples, but all those who are followers of Christ. And what did the man do with his slaves? Notice he gave each one a task to do. Has Christ given us a task to do? Yes, he has. He's called us to go and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. He's given us a task to be obedient to him of all the commandments that he has given to us. We've got work to do. And then he commanded the doorkeeper to stay alert in the parable, which is the whole point of the parable. This is the whole point. This is what Jesus is getting after. As you see parables, as you read through parables, there is always a main point that Jesus is after. And that's what you want to get to. There may be some other things that we can learn from it, but there's one main point that he's driving after in his parable. And this is it. The doorkeeper is to stay on the alert. And who is the doorkeeper here? This again is referring to Christ's followers. Not only are they the slaves, but they're also the doorkeeper. What's the whole point of this parable? He tells us in verse 35, look at what he says there. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows, or in the morning in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. Now what's interesting is, not many days from now, Jesus is going to go away into the garden, and what is he going to tell his disciples to do? To stay awake and what? Pray. And he comes back, and how does he find them? Asleep. Jesus tells the doorkeeper, to keep alert, to stay alert, stay awake, because he doesn't know when the master of the house is returning. So those who are living during the tribulation, they need to be alert because Christ could return at any moment. Now what's interesting here is that Jesus kind of goes through the night. He goes through the night watch here. The Romans had a night watch that was a a 12-hour period, a 12-hour watch during the night from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. That was their night watch. And they broke this 12-hour period up into four watches that each consisted of three-hour periods. And they were named for the time of when they ended. So you'll notice that there in uh, verse 35. The naming of these is the time of when they end. You had evening, which was from 6 to 9 p.m. 9 p.m. is our evening. Then you had midnight, which was from 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. Then you had the the cock crow, or the time when the rooster crows, which was 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. And Then you had the morning, which was from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m morning time. And the Roman guards would then take shifts throughout the night during this night watch, and their job was to stay awake. That's their job. You got three hours. Just stay awake. You got to guard and protect. Stay awake. And Jesus' whole point in giving this parable is to tell that generation during that time that they are to be alert and not be tempted toward spiritual complacency. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 13, 11. He says this, Do this, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. What is Paul saying here? The same thing that Christ is saying. Don't become spiritually complacent. Don't get involved in the things of this world. What will the temptation be for those who are going through this horrific time of the tribulation? They can easily think that Jesus isn't coming back. Because things are so bad. And then they would just give up and begin to live for themselves and turn away from Christ. Oh, he forgot about us. Here we are going through all this trouble and these trials and this tribulation. Doesn't Jesus know? Isn't he gonna save us from this? Jesus' whole point here is don't fall asleep, don't think that way, but stay alert and be fixed upon me. Look upward. Because I'm coming. And notice what Jesus says in verse 36. He could come suddenly. Meaning at a time when you don't expect it. And that's what scripture teaches us, right? Isn't that what it teaches us? This is not only true for the second coming of Christ, but it's also true for the rapture of the church. That he could come at any time, at a moment when we don't even think that Jesus is going to come. In fact, listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Suddenly, in a moment, when Christ returns. And he will rapture us out of here that's the glorious hope that we have as believers speaking of the second coming jesus says in matthew 24:43 but be sure of this that if the head of the house had known at what time the night of the night the thief was coming he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Look, thieves are dumb, but they're not that dumb. To come to your door and let you know, hey, I'll be here at 9 o'clock tonight. (laughs) To break in. What is Jesus saying here? They, They just come at a moment when you don't expect it. And Jesus says, just as that thief in the night comes suddenly, I'm coming suddenly. And it will come suddenly right at the end of the tribulation. And Christ gives this parable here to demonstrate that and to tell them, stay awake, be on the alert. I'm coming for you. I will come and I will conquer all things. I'm coming in power and in glory to rule and to reign and to sit on my throne and you as my followers will rule and reign with me. That's our glorious hope. And that's what Jesus is demonstrating here to this last generation. And so God's word proclaims to us that we should be ready. Point number six, and our final point here this morning, is the proclamation of the last days. The proclamation of the last days. We saw the preparation and the demonstration. Now let's look at this proclamation. Look at verse 37. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert Jesus now finishes up his answer to the original question of the disciples when they asked about when all of this is going to take place and what the signs would be. Remember that? That's what they asked. When is the temple going to be destroyed and what are the signs of your coming? What are the signs of the end? Jesus finishes it up here. He comes to to a close of his all of it discourse. And he not only gives a final warning to this last generation, but he proclaims to all of us be on the alert. I told you this was going to be for us, right? This is for us. Be on the alert. It's a warning to all. What is the warning? Well, first, to those who are not believers in Christ, it's a warning that he is coming. That Jesus is coming again and he will come again and he will bring judgment upon all of those who do not believe in him. So what's his message to you if you are here this morning and are not a believer in Christ? His message to you is repent and believe in him. To Come to him and you will have eternal life he offers this to you this morning because he's coming again. And if you repent of your sin and put your faith in him, he will come again and he will gather you to himself. And you will have the glorious hope that us as believers have. We have hope that our Lord and Savior is returning again And we will be with him for all of eternity. So he tells you, if you are not a believer, to repent and believe in him for salvation. But Christ is not just warning unbelievers, but he also wants to warn us who are believers. What is our warning? Don't become spiritually complacent. Don't get caught up in the things of this world. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in our world right now, right? And Jesus is saying, don't get caught up in all of that. Don't let that stuff take you away from me. Be on the alert and be watching for me because I am coming again. That's your hope. Your hope is not in fixing this world. Your hope is not in fixing this government Your hope is not in fixing policies. Your hope must be in Christ and in Him alone. And that's what we need to be focused on. To be focused on Christ. And to proclaim Christ to this lost and dying world and to live for His glory. Christian, how are you living? How are you living? Are you letting the things of this world distract you from your devotion to Christ? If the things of this world have distracted you, listen, repent. Repent and come to Christ and be devoted to him and keep your eyes fixed upon Christ who is the author of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. As Philippians 1.6 six. Says, for I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Until the day that he returns and takes you to be with him in glory. Be alert and keep watch because Christ is coming soon. And when he comes, may we be found doing his work as he has commanded us to do. In closing, I want to read to you an an excerpt from J.C. Ryle who has told us that we need to be living in what he calls perpetual preparedness. Perpetual preparedness. He says this, The servant of God must surely see that there is only one state of mind which becomes the man who believes these things. That state is one of perpetual preparedness to meet Christ. The gospel does not call on us to retire from earthly callings or neglect the duties of our stations. It does not bid us retire into hideaways or live the life of a monk or a nun but it does bid us to live like men and women who expect their Lord to return. Repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, and holiness of conversation are the only true habitual preparedness required. The Christian who knows these things by experience is the man and woman who is always ready to meet his and her Lord. May we be people who are living in perpetual preparedness for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this glorious hope that we have of the return of our Savior who will come to gather us to be with him in the air Lord, as we are living through a time of trials and tribulation, Lord, all of this stuff that's going on in our world, Lord, forgive us for the times that we have allowed it to take our eyes off of you. Father, I pray that you would help us to daily be fixed upon Christ, awaiting his return as he will come to rapture us out of here and to be with you forever. What a glorious truth that is. And may we live in light of this glorious truth to not be caught up in the things around us, but to be those who are living with perpetual preparedness awaiting the return of our Savior. Father, may we keep our eyes fixed upon Christ who is the author and perfecter of our faith. For your glory alone, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.